whenever my world falls apart I never lose hope or lose heart Whatever the form of the storm that may brew Not with you to lean on, darlings, you Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. My guest today is a director as well as the Associate Artistic Director and Casting Director at Only Theatre. It's Jenna Duncan, everybody. Hi. We both take sips of our beverages. I can't. I couldn't tell if that would go into the mic. It did. Oh, it does. It Great. sounds good. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Yes, we're taking a cue out of the broad-waisted uh, gang and having some uh, whiskey and ginger ale, and it is delicious. And... It has nothing to do with the show we're going to talk about, <laughs> which is... Fiddler on the Roof. A fiddler on the roof. Sounds crazy, no? But in our little village of Anatevka, you might say, every one of us is a fiddler on the roof, trying to scratch out a pleasant, simple tune without breaking his neck. It isn't easy. You may ask, why do we stay up there if it's so dangerous? We stay because Anatevka's our home. And how do we keep our balance? That I can tell you in one word. Tradition. Tradition! 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 So, how did Fiddler on the Roof come into your life? Fiddler on the Roof was the first show I ever saw. Um, I saw a high school production of it um, when I, God, I don't even know how old I was. Um, Probably somewhere around seven, eight. And I had never, I I didn't really realize, my mom used to sing Sunrise Sunset to me when I was growing up. Um, And quick side note, it's one of my favorite stories about her is that she sang it so off key that then one time I heard it in a borders like walking around and I have a vivid memory of being like wait these are the same lyrics um and she had to like <laughs> not the same she melody. had to be like yes this is the song I sing this is the, the song I sing to you no, Mom, um, the song you sing goes like this yeah so um <laughs> so that was a good lesson um but um <laughs> but so she used to sing it to me and then it was like her favorite musical and so we went to see it at this high school and I just remember feeling like that was when I first sort of understood what it was like to for people to have a stage presence like I'm sure Mm. I'm sure now he's not great right like I'm sure if he went on encore or whatever you would be like oh god this is the performance I saw but at the time the guy playing Tevia was like this spectacular force that just completely took over Mm -hmm. um he's larger than life which is like also what they say about Zero Mostel right so it's um it was really cool and I sort of left being like I I don't want to get away from that um (laughs) and then I listened to the recording a whole bunch um and then uh and then I got more into the recording I got differently into the recording I took a break from it in probably college as I was going through my like contemporary musical theater phases and Mm then uh, I got back into it as an adult and uh it's sort of magical that it changes, I think, constantly because it's so multi-generational. Mm-hmm. So the way that you relate to it changes totally between I'm eight years old. And That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. Up until, up until you're... I'm like st- sort of in my phase of thinking about 
at some point becoming a parent and that right. just totally changes the changes entire, your brain yeah 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 that's like yeah that's i hadn't thought about that but it is absolutely true um i started with the movie because it was on pbs every i guess it was easter passover i, I no, it wouldn't have been passover when would it have been on that was 10 commandments when would they show no i think it was every easter for some reason they showed <laughs> they Fiddler. just were like this is jewish right <laughs> here you go <laughs> and it's easter it was on every year in the spring i think it because it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been hanukkah or rosh hashanah or anything yeah but easter and passover crossover yeah crossover so or someone it's just like usually there was also the 10 commandments but i guess they were just on at the same time I saw it at a high school, just like you, when I was in high school. It also feels like a show that is, foolproof is the wrong word, but it's, like, if you just, if you say all the words, don't miss your marks, and sing all the notes on key, this is a really, really good show. There's not, like, you, it's hard to mess it up yeah, in a lot of ways. Yeah, well, it's pretty, it's structured pretty unbelievably, I mm-hmm. think. I mean, even in the sense of, like, you're... It just, it just takes you on the journey so easily mm-hmm. that I feel like even watching mediocre actors do it in high school, you're still there because the music is half the half the reason that you're going on that emotional journey anyway. Sure. Um, like if you don't get to far from the home I love and cry a little bit, like I think you're kind of heartless. So. <laughs> um. Well, that's a good place to jump in for people who don't know. I guess they could exist and listen to this I was going to say, we don't need to summarize this one, do we? <laughs> I think we do. Can you tell me what the plot is of Fiddler <laughs> yeah. on the Roof? Um, so Fiddler uh, is, takes place in the Russian shuttle of Anatevka. And Tevya, who um, is... The st- the show is based on uh, Sholem Aleichem's writings of Tevya the Dairyman and his five daughters. Um, so... Anyway, Tevya and his five daughters exist in Anatevka and his wife, Golda. And throughout the show, the three eldest daughters fall in love and uh, want to marry people that are not set up for them by the matchmaker in town. So as each daughter, Tevya allows each daughter to marry for love, sort of. Right. Um, allows the first one to marry for love. Right. Um, and then by the time... Uh, Hodel wants to go with Perchik. He uh, ostracizes her. No. Right? Hang on. Did I just mess up the mess names? Mess it up. Yeah. Huddle goes to Siberia to join Perchik, and he's fine with it. Hava. Hava. There we go. Fiedka. Right, right. Sorry, yes. sorry, sorry. Hodka, yeah, the, it, the bridge too far is that his third daughter falls in love with a Russian with a Christian, Russian. right? And he can't. So all this is happening. All that go. separation from family is happening at the same time that the Tsar is evicting the Jews from Anatevka. Yeah, yeah, parallels. Um, right. Well, that's one of the interesting things <laughs> about this show to me, and we'll just dive right into it. Is that as I got older, and like I said, I watch this every year for a decade i began to question what the message kind of was about uh, just in general because it starts with tradition first of all like every single song in this show is is like a standard it feels to me it's one of those like hilarious shows where it's just like oh no you know you don't know every song from this show. There's there's one or two specifically that what we'll probably talk about that like nobody knows. But um, 
And when you see it live, people go, oh my gosh, what's this song? Like um, the Rumors song. Rifke, Rifke, I have such news for you. Remember Perchik, that crazy student? Remember at the wedding when Seidel married Mottle and Perchik started dancing with Tevye's daughter Huddle? Well... I just learned that Perchik's been arrested in Kiev. No. Yes. Shade, shade, wait till I tell you. Remember Perchik, that crazy student? Remember at the wedding? He danced with Tevye's huddle. Well, I just heard that huddle's been arrested in Kiev. No. Terrible, terrible. terrible. Mira. Do you remember Perchik, that student from Kiev? Remember how he acted when Seidel married Muttel? Well, I just heard that Muttel's been arrested for dancing at the wedding. No! In Kiev! Actually, it might just be the rumor, because I'm looking at all the other ones. I'm like, no, everybody knows all these songs. Never mind, it's just the rumors. The only one that every time it comes up, because it's not in the movie, on the recording, oh, okay. Got it. it just I go, what? Oh, right. This is hearing B. Arthur saying, you know, when model was arrested, <laughs> you're just like, what the heck's going on? Um, but it occurred to me that this, so it starts with tradition and it extols the sort of benefits of like, this is how we keep our balance because our lives are like fiddlers on the roof. Uh, and we keep our balance through tradition. And then as in parallel with Tevya ignoring the traditions, allowing the traditions to slide and there's a bunch of them i mean they not only does he let um seidel marry model as she wishes but then at the wedding he danced the, the men dance. and women dance together right and well initiated by initi- huddle and perchick initiated by perchick right who is a who is a troublemaker um as the rumor as, then as, divulges. Yes, right well he is a communist i mean he is a communist revolutionary <laughs> um but he there is the, the society starts to fall apart all the way up until the end when they are kicked out of the village of the country and i do kind of wonder if the point is if you ignore the traditions everything falls apart it doesn't feel that way to me but that's one like very easy interpretation to be like every time he breaks a tradition something bad happens to the whole village because also at the wedding, they all dance together and then it's not a pogrom exactly, but like they're right, attacked. Right. No, it, I mean, it is, right? It's yeah. a veiled pogrom. Right, exactly. Um, it, it's only the only thing keeping... They call every- it a demonstration, right? In right, the show. because the only thing that's keeping everything kind of level in Nanatefka specifically is the fact that the guy who, I guess he's the chief of police or the whoever he is... He's like sort of sympathetic. Is, is a nice yeah. guy <laughs> and friends with Tevia specifically and like doesn't want to do all the things that he's being ordered to do. He does do them, but he doesn't like, he doesn't have a full pogrom. He just sort of breaks stuff up and then, and then like, that's the end. Well, it's really interesting. That's not, uh, that's a big change in the show from the original writings that he is sympathetic to them. And I guess I, I, I don't know enough about the, um, where this came up in history, but I have been, I've read that that's like a big, contention point of the show um that, that it, it was people... it was catering to gentiles by making him a nice guy oh um hmm. which i don't know that i possible. agree with i just think it's an interesting critique yeah i, I wonder if i i don't I mean obviously i don't i know. think your reasoning of that's what's ma- keeping everything level makes way more sense yes because it, it, it's also like if that character 
didn't resist, there wouldn't be any... First of all, the tension would be lower because the show has no villain. One of the things I like about it is that there is no... Like, the villain, basically, is the czar. And we never meet the czar. We never see the czar. May God bless and keep the czar far away from us, obviously. (laughs) Um, It's a great joke. But he never appears... He never even comes close. And... I like the fact that the, the the chief of police, because he does ultimately do the wrong thing. He doesn't like stand up to the czar. He, you know, he's just kind of, right. but it, first of all, it creates the tension of will he, won't he, which is important, but also it makes it so much sadder. Like it just, it feels to me like they are, by putting that character on stage and giving him this sort of mini conflict, he is kind of a stand-in for everything that's going on is that nobody has any control over anything you know tevia starts out because he's the father and as they say in the song you know like they have the word as master of the house to Mm -hmm. have the final word at home he absolutely doesn't he never does but that his authority falls away in very overt and public ways as the show goes on just and 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 as a result his control drifts away of his kids i mean he has control of his three his five kids at the beginning and then, or at least thinks he does. Two of he has them two at the end. At the end, but not really because they're all going to America, right? So it is. It is this sort of. Well, and there's like in theory, Seidel's going to rejoin the family at some point, right? Which you kind of know is not going to be the case. That's what they sort of hope. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, how that would ever happen, I don't. It's like there's like one line about it. <laughs> well, they are going to New York. I mean, I guess the thing is, like, she could end up in New York if they found each other. Maybe I don't know. Like I guess it's yeah. it's it's not impossible. I don't think we're supposed to think that it all works out. I just... No, I don't. I don't feel that it. I don't feel that just it does. Well, but it is also like, and the interesting thing with Hava, obviously, I mean, Hava uh, uh, leaves. They leave Russia as well mm-hmm. at the end, and there's a small break of of uh, Tevya kind of being like giving her a like mini nod on the way out the door, but. I mean, that relationship isn't going to be great either going for like, he's really, he's lost a lot. He's fine. Like he's okay. But there is this sense of like, which is the, obviously the Jewish experience writ large. It it is a little more like, I I think that I take the criticism that like creating this character who is probably wildly historically inaccurate could be viewed as catering to a Gentile audience. Uh, but I would counter that argument by saying it it, it it allowed somebody like me, a Gentile, to to more deeply engage with the characters in the story and feel more empathy for everyone involved and therefore recognize that experience and sort of internalize it a lot more. That was just my personal experience. Obviously, I'm sure there were some I can understand, though, this is not my journey. It's not my struggle. You know, people can be. Well, I think that's an offended. amazing point about that. Do you find that that's like what is it? What, that that's the message. That's the message, the or, or is it kind of like? I think. Uh, I I I don't think that that's well. It, mm-hmm. it it doesn't have to be the only message either. I mean, there's the thing of but like. Well, I think it's tied into the message of adapting as time changes and are allowing our values to be fluid with. Uh, the way that things change throughout Mm -hmm. generations and in the same way, I mean, not 
not exactly the same, but it, it, very similar to what we're talking about, about how to interpret the Constitution now, right? Mm-hmm. Like this idea of like, how do we bring tradition forward while still allowing ourselves to live in the, in, in Fiddler, in the world where love, well, where people marry for love, mm-hmm. right? For one. Right. Um, but, but I think that's actually, a, I think that is kind of tied into it, right? That he's so... He's so um, stringent in his rules that then to break them to accommodate for what his daughters really want uh, isn't isn't topping that. And it it maybe should. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not saying that uh, that's exactly the message, but I think there is a message of needing to adapt um, and and where the importance of family falls versus the importance of faith. And I don't know. that the show answers that. But I think that part of the message is asking you to evaluate that. Well, and he never violates. I don't know of the right word here. I don't know if it's dogma. I don't know what like the, I don't know enough about not only Judaism, but the specific kind of Judaism that he is Mm -hmm. practicing that. It seems to me that he never, the, the rules he violates are more cultural than religious now obviously those two things are inexorably connected but like allowing your daughter to marry this person is ultimately his choice it's not illegal what he's doing he is just breaking the norm of like listen you know laser wolf (laughs) which is just the most amazing name went to um oh crud what's her name the matchmaker what's her name uh 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 Yenta. Yenta. Of course. <laughs> yeah, I forgot Yenta. Um, Laser Wolf goes to Yenta. Yenta comes to Tevye. Like an arrangement is made. They're going to get married. But, like that's the way it's done. And he just decides, no, we're not going to do it that way this time because my, I want my daughter to be happy. That is something that's important to me. And I had no idea it was important to me. And it's important to me. And there's nothing wrong with a guy she wants to marry from like a logistics standpoint. So great. And he allows it to happen. The same thing with um, Hoddle is that, I mean, he doesn't want her to go, obviously, but she's, she's allowed to do what she wants. She's allowed to travel and join right. the man she loves. That That's okay. But Hava. But Hava, yes. Yeah. Goes outside of the faith and he just cannot do that. And it's really interesting. Uh, it's a really interesting debate where he sort of like he always has these little debates with himself about whether or not he should go with who or right, what. Right. And he just that one's so short. It it's not even a question to him. He can't do it. He she has violated a very important rule and he won't stand for it. I Breaks mean, his heart. Like it obviously hurts him, but you know, it is what it is. It's sort of how yeah. it feels. So that's what I mean by like his his violations maybe like get people upset. You know, Laser Wolf gets mad at him, obviously. Um for breaking the contract, but nobody ever, he's not like called in front of the rabbi or something to like account, or he's not ostracized from the community. It's just kind of a mini scandal within the group, but everybody gets over it. Cause it's fine. You know, ultimately when I'm saying when Seidel gets married. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. but I think the, I mean, the dynamic around, uh, around Hava and Fiedka is still present, right? Like we, oh, sure. it was my parents were, went through this really actually. yeah maybe I didn't know hopefully that. my dad will never listen to this podcast sure. um but um yeah my my grandparents were furious that my mom was marrying outside the jewish faith so wow. um and it like 
tore a lot of weird family dynamics apart and you know i don't need to get into all of no, it not in at case all. well but it does it definitely still exists it's not um but it's definitely uh it's definitely there yeah uh, still oh I, sure i think i it i mean obviously it's different different religions different whatever it is like it's also funny though that like different when people get married in different faiths it's really funny like someone is it, it is it is i have discovered in in all of like my cousin we were all raised catholic there's like 50 of us in both sides of my family so many oh cousins so like the number the percentage of that group who got married catholic is probably 50 percent. i would say and the rest either haven't gotten married or have got non-denominationally married or married someone of a different faith and every time that happened, I found out someone will be offended in in not necessarily my family, but somebody involved in one of the two families will be offended and will take the opportunity to be grumpy about it in a very public way, which I don't know if it's just like sometimes you need like you found an opportunity to be morally indignant and you're just going to stand on it because probably no one's going to fight you like about it. But there is at least enough of a perception of like, oh, this is weird that like we're not we're not doing the thing we all said we were going to do that people can still get kind of get. I mean, I would define it as grumpy, like oh, it's just sort of rumbly and trying to ruin everybody's fun. And it did used to I mean, obviously it used to be a huge problem. And I, I, I mean, like in my own personal experience, what's so funny is it can get so minute that like where I grew up, a mixed marriage was between an Italian and an Irish family. <laughs> and it really, like, you laugh, but it was a thing. Yeah. It was a no, I, real I hear thing. it. I don't mean to laugh at but, it. No, but it's, it's funny. No, because it's dumb. Like, it is, it's worth laughing about to me. But it's so funny that, like, that was that was a thing. Like, you know, Irish Catholics don't marry Italian Catholics. That right. doesn't happen. And I don't know. And both sides. Both sides were angry about it. It also happened a lot. So I guess everybody kind of had to get over it a little bit. But, like, people will get, like, huffy about this it's a very kind of clear way to be like no you have to stick with your own crew and that ain't great yeah well and it's interesting to think about it too in the sense of like now there's also so much reasoning behind uh, i mean there's there because six million of us were lost right there's reasoning behind continuing to sure create jewish people sure um but then of course in fiddler that hadn't happened yet (laughs) right that's true i'm not saying that's the only reason but that's certainly brought up a lot i i I find um Mm -hmm. but but you know it's interesting as i'm talking about this i've just never thought about like um i mean my I think probably I had my grandfather not at the very last minute change his mind. My parents were going to elope. And at the very last minute, I think he was like, "I we need to be at your wedding. Um, wow. And they had a tiny, tiny wedding with sure. X number of people. But um, was it religious or was it just nothing uh, I, in particular? I do think they I do not actually think they had a Jewish wedding in the okay. end. And I think I think my grandparents were angry about that, but ultimately still stayed in her life. Mm-hmm. Um, which of course is the difference from Tevya, right? And I feel right. like that actually is relevant in the sense of like, uh, when you're moving into the modern world, like what can you get past? Well, he does start to get past it in the loosest of. I mean, he he is. I mean, because like to say that he doesn't that she's ostracized, she is dead. 
to him. I mean, it's mm-hmm. that is the thing that like, you know, people say you're dead to me. She she is actually dead. And he refers to her as being dead to a couple people in the course of the show. And so when he like slightly acknowledges her presence in the, the end, it is huge. a huge jump. Absolutely. Um, but so he does kind of slightly relent at least to the reality of the situation not that he's i don't think like she's going to be welcome at, uh, on on uh, on sabbath dinner but he does at least acknowledge she's not actually dead like she's right. there this is something i have to like i have to grapple with this he's not done at the end of the show grappling with it but like it's an act like like everything else like every other problem he has in the show it's an active process it's like okay we're gonna figure this out we're gonna move we're going to work on this. I don't know what that is, but we're going to figure it out. And I mean, it is really, it is such a, she's such a sad character also to me because she doesn't really get a song. We never really get, we get scenes, you know, she gets stuff to say. She obviously sings matchmaker. Like she sings, but like Seidel is the leader of matchmaker. That's basically her song. And Huddle sings far from the home. I love and Hava doesn't get to really express herself in a in a in that way and it would have been it's interesting to me that she doesn't because it would have been i think the easy choice to be like well no she'll sing to him about her love and like that'll be the song like and then they'll fight about it but whatever but like there'll be a song there and there just isn't it, it it's a scene that i think intentionally feels Incomplete. It's very che- like the audience feels cheated, and I think they should when it's yeah. Over. I mean, I think it would be. I, I I think I would feel like that's a like deeply emotionally manipulative if she sang right before. Well, but right? that's the. I mean, I get that that's that's also musical theater, and that's part and this of what is we do. A, I mean, this is this is Bach and Harnick. This is like, and it's also funny. Like Fiddler is one of the first runaway hits since Oklahoma. I mean, this is like the biggest show since Oklahoma. When it, it comes it out, it was in the like longest 64. running until um, uh, 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 Greece, Greece beat it, beat out, it out, which yeah. I just think is the most ridiculous. It's pretty fact. hilarious, yes. Um, personally, yeah, pretty funny. Um, yeah, it ran for eight years, uh, or as as Phantom of the Opera calls it, a third. Um, <laughs> and it is, yeah. I mean, it was a massive, massive, massive hit. And like, I guess, I guess Dolly was also like a huge hit around the same time. So maybe Dolly. I don't remember which one came first, but. Yeah, Dolly came first, actually. So in any event, like it, but it was a it was a huge show in in a in a very real way, and ran for like you say, it was the longest running show ever until until Greece, which was the longest running show until Chorus Line. But it so it was a massive, massive hit. It was a massive, massive cultural phenomenon. But it is an old school musical. I mean, it's a musical in that old style, and it is the so like when the emotions reach a peak, we sing. That that's the rule, and that's what happens in the show. Like, there's an opening number, there's a closing number, there are songs in between that mostly are characters expressing themselves to the audience as their emotions because they've, you know, it's wonder of wonder, miracle of miracles. It's you know, these are yeah. Um, that's when people sing, and so to that end, it is funny to me that in this moment of tremendous emotional turmoil. I mean, it's probably the biggest moment of emotional turmoil in the show. Am I? Is that an accurate thing to say? I would. I would agree with that. Yeah, he doesn't. That nobody sings. I love that. I do too. I, I think it's, it's just amazing. so interesting. It's, I think it's one of the things that makes the the show good. Yeah. Is it? I mean, they wrote. I don't know how I mean, the many show songs is, for the show. I mean, when it 
it's it you you know it is traditional but it also ends sadly right i mean that's not oh gosh yeah like that's not traditional no. right that it would not end with a bow of any sort um it's it is actually just sort of left open yeah um like to an unknown world um and i think that's important given what we know happens next right like right. What, at the time they wrote it they saw more than what they could write about in this 1905 world right? right so i think leaving the door open in that way and sort of like an unfinished history of this family is is actually a really important aspect of the show sure oh, I, I completely I, agree I yeah, yeah. There, there, there is room for a sequel which thank god buck and hardick never wrote it's kind of what <laughs> it's kind of what rags tried to be as we've talked about on this show um it tr- sort sort of a spiritual sequel, I think, to Fiddler, not a literal one. Like, that, but it was just following the journey of Jewish immigrants and into New York, which is where they were going, uh, but not literally Tevye the Milkman. Because I mean, like we say, we also know, and the audience in that theater would know, especially that it didn't get easier ever kind of like not you know what I mean like it maybe a little here and there blah 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 whatever but like it just it, it was only going to be a different kind of bad when they got to right. New York well I mean the, so when you talk about the message of the show right mm-hmm. the uh, what I talked about before I, I I still think is true but also the perseverance message of the show mm. I mean that there's that uh there's that I don't know if you've seen this like chart of Jewish holidays that's been circling the internet that no. has like did they try to kill us? Do we, do we like it? I don't know. I forget what the, but basically the idea is like every holiday sort of revolves around like they tried to kill us. They didn't. And they didn't. Yeah. Um, and what about Tuvishvat? And which is, which is, and I, I, I wish I knew the chart better to talk about it. It's so funny, but it's, um, it, that is also part of the show, right? That like life, that the good, the, the great things and the bad things about life mm-hmm. <laughs> really, um, exist so or coexist so deeply um and i think that's a really deep part of the jewish experience the highs and the lows coming together like that so there it is i found the chart oh did you so they tried to kill us we're still alive let's eat those are the three oh, those categories. are the three right yeah yeah <laughs> it's pretty good I'm now looking for Tuberspot, which is like, so did they try to kill us? No, we're still alive. Yes, let's eat. Okay, good. That's the good. That's a fun one. This is pretty funny, actually. Right? Yeah, I'm posting this somewhere because this is great. So an average, but it has an average at the bottom. 50% they tried to kill us. 75% we're still alive. 66 and two thirds percent. Let's eat. That's the way the holidays break down. <laughs> That's pretty great. Okay. All right. Yeah, it's good. It's a good holiday Ups and spread. Downs. I like that's it. No, that's just a, but that's what you know. That's well. That's but that's the purpose of, of sunrise of and set. If you sunrise will. sunset. Um, oh, very good. Look at that. Um, oh man, <laughs> that song will make you cry. Now I'll tell you, like that 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 song changed for me in a in a huge way. Like when I had kids. Is this the little girl I carried? Is this the little boy at play? I don't remember growing older When did they? When did she get to be a beauty? When did he grow to be this tall? 
I think just when I got married, there's this, I was thinking recently about how, like, when do you actually start to get nostalgic? Like, when does, because there, I mean, there's this sort of like, there is, it, it, it I, I think it has shrunk in some ways. I don't, I, that like, there's a sort of instant nostalgia that people talk about now. And I think that's true, but it's not the same thing. Like, nostalgia as that scene in Mad Men says, like literally means pain from an old wound. And when do you look back on something and actually ache a tiny bit for the thing that you don't have anymore? I feel like the first time I felt that way was was like a year or two out of college. And it was just this feeling of like, as they say in Avenue Q, I wish I could go back to college. But it is that sense of just like, I'm not going to do that anymore. Like that's gone in a very, very concrete way. I think it's also because like one or two years out of college is when you start to like maybe hang out with those people and try to like recreate not exactly what you did, but like rekindle whatever it was. And you just sort of realize, I remember the first like New Year's party I had with all my college friends being like, this is no good. Like it's some of you are wonderful and I never want to see some of you again. Like we're just not, we're quickly not in the same place anymore. And it's not yeah. that thing that brought us all together is gone. Well, that's the thing, right, is like you can't when you ask, like, when do you start to be nostalgic for things? You actually can't until you don't have those things anymore. True. Right. So um, so until something tells you like a New Year's party. That... But there's a difference between missing something like you can be sad that something's gone. Sure. But that specific feeling of like, as they say in the song, like, is this the little girl I carry? Like that sort of yeah. clear sense that time has passed and that looking at something and being like. You when you go when you go from being the kid who like why is it every time I see this guy he says God you're so much bigger than the last time I saw you to the person who looks at a child and says oh my gosh you're so much bigger than the last time I saw you like there is a switch you can't stop it as much as you like swear to yourself you're not gonna be the person who's like I'm not gonna say that you do because you just look at a child and you go. I am I consider myself to be essentially the same than I last time I saw you and you are now in college and like and you were tiny last like this doesn't make sense like I can't wrap my head around it and sunrise sunset like so beautifully encapsulates that sentiment among all the characters and in a way that like events like I say a new year's party or a wedding like these markers these very clear moments of like this is a thing that happened can really grab you in a serious way and be like, oh no, like this <laughs> time is drifting apart. When did you, did you, I mean, like you obviously know what I'm talking about, but like when did you, do you remember the first time you felt that way about something? Well, I might need to, let me do Yeah, take, take a, a drink, take a drink. That's a good idea. Um, I, I just, it's such, such, such a dark answer. Like I, there's so many like nostalgic childhood memories for people and like, my mom was sick my whole life, right? Like a lot of mm. my childhood memories are like going to like soccer practice and then chemo and then mm -hmm. to Dunkin' Donuts, right? And so I think I have a weird mix of like nostalgia for some of it and also like I I appreciate my adult life in a very different way. Mm. Um, 
and I that's not to say that like I think nostalgia is a bad thing by any means I think it's oh sure wonderful if you had an amazing childhood and you like yearn for that at mm-hmm. points that's wonderful um I think that it's hard for me to feel nostalgic for things because so much of my upbringing um was truly all about like be be glad for this day like that like this sure. day that you're living in right now is the best day of your life because you're still here and that's not i guess that's sort of a half dark answer and half uplifting well, answer, it's very <laughs> honest answer but i think it, there's a difference between and i want to come back to that yeah there's a difference between like longing wanting to go back to something and well, feeling nostalgic it's the, for it it's the thing it's like it's what they call it, like the thestral effect you know the thestrals from harry potter so the 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 thestrals are the horses that the invisible horses that pull the carriages up to Hogwarts that nobody can see. Oh God, right! Unless they've experienced death, and if you've experienced death, you can see the horses. Right. It's it's it is without question like the most, in my opinion, the most beautiful thing in any of the Harry Potter books because it is an excellent representation of how tangible the effect is on somebody who has experienced a deep loss early in their life. Yeah, absolutely. And how that makes Harry and like Luna very different from everybody else in the in the story, and. So what you're talking about to me is is something that I have experienced to a much lesser degree, having lost a friend, a very close friend, when I was in high school, and like the the turn that puts on you, the the way that makes the world different. Yeah. But still, I feel like nostalgia doesn't have to be for youth. It can just be for like because you obviously, as a director who've directed for the the. The players, um, mm-hmm. give me the full title. So the national players, now. the national players for years now, right? Yeah, You've done that, and those those groups of kids, which is what they are, even though they're in their their adults, um, come and go and move in and out, and then you see them again later in your life, and that has to have like a a twingy effect on you in some capacity. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess I, I, honestly, I think shows is sort of that doing shows is the best. Um, uh, example that I have probably, mm-hmm. which is like, oh, remember that moment where that was like, there's such a, there's such a special thing about like a show that really felt like a family or mm-hmm. a magic moment that you all made together. Right. Which is so cheesy, but like, that's true. I, I think that's sort of, um, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of the way to describe it. Like the girls who were in What Every Girl Should Know With Me at Forum, which include M. Whitworth and sure. Lita Benson and Thais Menendez and Yakima Rich. Um, like M and Lita still will be like, well, I'll see them. And they're like, mom. <laughs> like, um, so I don't know. There's something about that that I feel like there's a nostalgia for like the time that we all spent together. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know. Clearly, I'm struggling with this question. I I don't. It's really. I I wonder if it if it is though. I wonder if it's true that like because of the experiences of your childhood, it doesn't. The the memories don't form in the same way. They don't hold in the same way. Or they're. I mean, or it's just different. You well, know your I mean? well, your core memories are different, right? Like to oh, go sure. full inside oh, let's out. Go, oh yes, um, please do. Which I which one of the totally best movies of all time is. Oh my oh, god, it's the best. Cry. Seven or eight times. It's unbelievable. It's amazing. Um, to go full inside out, like I think your nostalgia is so connected to those core memories to some mm-hmm. extent, and maybe my core memories form differently. I don't know. I think it's very yeah, probably, because it is a totally different experience from from like me. We'll just use because I'm the one here. So, 
your as you experience anything i mean you just you come at it in a, in a different way than i do and i would come at it in a different way from somebody who has has never like has never lost anyone let's just put it in that broad yeah. of a context and i just think it's you know and al silver and i talked about this a lot there is something about that experience and, and that the knowledge that the the evidence that something's finite. Everybody knows that that things are finite. We all know that. Yeah, but you also. But there's a difference between knowing and the evidence it and, that it's sh- that it can be short. Yes. Right. I think that's also a really big difference. Yeah. It's like there's there's a there's a tons of evidence that things are finite. Right. Grandparents pass away all the time. Right. Sure. That's not to say that's easy by any means. Right. Um, in fact, I think it's when you were saying before, like you've experienced that to a lesser degree. Like I don't actually think that's true. I think. Whatever, Maybe in a less traumatic way. Whatever I mean, degree you've experienced it to, I think, yes, is traumatic, true. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's it's, and that's the biggest degree you've experienced it to, right? right. So I don't, I don't really believe in like the relativity of it because mm-hmm. I think it's, it's kind of awful in any setting, no oh, matter sure. who it is. Sure. Yeah, I think I've always thought that way, and then it took me a long time to learn that. And I, it, some people will still not believe that because I have resting stressed face. Um, but I. But I don't. I don't think that's true. I've been told that a lot. I don't think people that's tend true. to come up to me and they're like, "Oh God, are you okay?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm just sitting here drinking this coffee. Like, I don't understand." I don't think you're um, stress face. That's funny. But uh, but I definitely feel huh. like m- more more. Maybe I've just only seen you actually stressed. So it's <laughs> no. But even when that, I knew I, what the stress was. Well, I feel like you've actually, you know, it actually makes sense. You've seen me in more crisis mode, which tends right. to lead to more like, well, this is what it is. Yeah. So <laughs> here we are. Right. Um, yeah. I, I think you're probably right. I mean, my stepmother, who has also experienced um, loss early, um, was is always saying like, yeah, that's that's life. Like this is this is how it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think. I think you're probably right. But you were raised Jewish. No. You were not raised Jewish. No, okay. I was. So my uh, my parents like to tell the story that um, basically at when I was young, they gave me the option between Hebrew school and sports. And I chose sports. Chose sports and sports. I was raised as an athlete. Like that's the, <laughs> that's the joke that's that they religion. like to tell. That's my religion. Um <laughs> Because like soccer was skiing at the same time and skiing, yeah, it's it's all at the same time. I went to temple a few times with my mom. I I I had never been to church. My dad is not religious, so um, I definitely was. I knew more about the Jewish religion than I did about anything Christian. Probably, I mean, we'd had Christmas, but like we said the Hanukkah prayers and we had Seder and we, you know, but mm-hmm. not. Uh, but I was not like deeply raised deeply Jewish. Sure. Um. So did your mother go to temple every week or just sort of when the mood struck her? When the mood struck. Sure. Yeah. Um. So I think that's. Uh. And I, and I don't even know how frequent that was, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. I think probably. I mean, God, I, these are things I would love to ask her now, right? Like, I don't know how mm-hmm. much of that came from the marriage to somebody who's not Jewish and that being a huge issue and how much of that pushed her away versus not. I mean, I, I'm just not sure. But um, but no, so I was raised nothing, really, <laughs> um, uh, which I think is uh, which I think is actually probably why I feel like I love this show is that like I don't actually feel like it matters what religion you are. The show's universal regardless. Oh, 100%. Um, like, I, I don't feel like 
obviously there's some connections that I have to it that are particularly because of my mother being Jewish and Mm -hmm. her really loving the show. But like, I don't think that's actually why I love the show. Like, I think it's just a really good story. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, uh, and then beyond that, I think that the, the thing about not, or the thing that I'm noticing is like, so I now I'm like, oh, I'm going to talk about everybody in my life on this sure. show. Um, so I just went to church for like the first time in my whole life, um, Ooh, which maybe brand? a month ago. What was that? Which brand? Uh, Episcopalian. Oh, OK. Um, the, the chill brand is yeah, what I'm told. Chill. Super chill. Um, uh, with my boyfriend and his family. And uh, it was it was kind of lovely. Like mm-hmm. it was not at all what I expected it to be. Um, and frankly, the community and the songs and there's so much about it that I was like, oh, this is all the same. <laughs> like, yeah. This is the same no matter if you're here or you're in theater camp or you're in Temple. Right. Mm-hmm. Like there is a there's a community that feel that I think translates cross-culturally. Mm-hmm. And so that also reminded me so much of just the opening of the show and the ta- whole town together. Right. Um, and that that's a, that's a really special human connection, no matter what the culture is that's bringing you together. And yet it is a big part of the show that it isn't that yeah. it is. But I think that's, what's so devastating about the show mm-hmm. is that you totally completely relate and understand and you know the show goes to lengths to be like this is my prayer shawl and this is right. why we keep our heads covered and right. or i guess it says i well, don't, know. don't know <laughs> but um but uh, it is still i i think but it does sort of like hand you jewish tidbits here and there and it like hand holds you through that culture a little bit then at the end they're driven out for this exact same thing right so the i, I just think if you don't uh I think the effect of the show is exactly what you're saying, that it's totally universal. And then also at the end, it's totally about that. Well, I think it, it, it does that. that it does, because it does that thing that I think a good show on this topic can do, which is it's that interesting experience. Actually, we were told this a lot as writers is like the more specific you get, the more universal you become. It's just this weird mm-hmm. thing where your goal is like what you, your instinct when you're trying to appeal to a lot of people is to be as nonspecific as possible. Just be like, keep it kind of general so everybody can get into it. Whereas, in fact, if you get ultra specific, for some reason, the audience gears in a lot faster. Yeah, I think absolutely. because it's a lot easier to visualize the people. Like, it's a lot easier to be like, oh, yeah. I know somebody. You're like, you that's know. that family, that town, that dynamic. This thing. Yeah. yeah. It all feels very much more three dimensional and whole. And I think that Fiddler for whatever reason, does an excellent job of being very specifically Jewish and very universal at the same time. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. Yeah. And I think it's because even though they are excluded, the people in Anatevka, and also exclusive, I mean, they do exclude partially for survival reasons the Christians from the the, the larger town that's like they're inside of, kind of. Yeah, ex- exclusive or protective. Right, like, def- depending on how you want to set it up. On, yeah. yeah, depending. Yeah, they are. It is a show of welcoming. I mean, the tradition is a welcome to our town kind of number. I mean, it's like the inverse of Iowa Stubborn at the beginning of <laughs> Music Man, which is like the least welcoming song in the world, which is the point. But like tradition really brings you in like it really oh, it's totally welcomes magical. you into the town it welcomes you into the the show and so from that moment on 
it's like comedy tonight. You're just, you're in. You're 100% yeah. in. Well, that's also, you know, it's interesting. That's probably also when you talk about like how Fiddler came into my life, just rewinding to the very mm-hmm. beginning of this. Um, it's It was also the first time that I ever saw something um, in live theater, right? So the right. idea of like, not only was I seeing live theater, but it was a show that immediately engaged me as an audience member in a direct way. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like that has actually, in a weird way, has made such a deep impact. Like, I, I'm not, I don't watch that many movies more than, I should, I should watch more. Um, I watch some TV. Um, but there is something about being in a room with other humans that mm-hmm. I just can't, let go of and I think that that's actually in a weird way that was my first experience and that's sort of been the thing that drives every experience I mean it was funny like the the experience the the show that just came into my head as you were talking about that experience is Godspell yeah me too I was about to which is but where Godspell to me which is a show that I love and have seen a billion times and have directed Mm -hmm. and we'll see like if someone does Godspell I will go see it it is well the music rocks right (laughs) first of all Godspell always kind of hold like there are moments to me where Godspell holds you over there. Like Godspell is doing something entirely different from this show. It's not trying to be Fiddler on the Roof, so the comparison is not a hundred a great one. But it is a a religious show. It is a show exploring the experience of religion and exploring the teachings of religion is a very overtly Christian show. And it's, it's unusual authorship and production history and philosophy that it's all putting together is what makes it so stimulating and interesting. But ultimately it's a, it's a Christian show, you know, at the end of the day, I think that where it, it lands. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think as somebody who has brought up nothing as right. I said before, um, like Fiddler feels like I'm super pulled into it um and Godspell I was pulled in theatrically right but like I'm still uh, now as I continue to attend church sometimes right. I there are moments where we sing things and I'm like oh that's from Godspell right. so <laughs> like music and new lyrics by Stephen Schwartz because a lot of yeah, those yeah words I mean are but all to say like I, I I didn't there's still parts of Godspell that I don't totally connect to where they're from right like right. i just don't get it as a not christian human mm-hmm. um and then i feel stupid but the but the idea is um uh i don't think fiddler has those moments but it's so also much. it's not because godspell is presentational it is a show i mean it opens with prepare ye the way of the lord i mean it opens with tower of babel which is like one of my favorite songs ever but like <laughs> the show really begins with prepare ye the way of the lord which is a statement of get ready because it's happening and then it happens yeah and fiddler opens with this is me right this is me this is who i am this is where i live these are my this is my family these are my friends these are my people like isn't it isn't it a thing like and the the idea of tevya i mean they do so much direct address and godspell but it is literally preaching and teaching it is not just like how you doing you feeling okay? Like where where are we tonight? This whole thing is crazy. Anyway, this is this is who I am. Is what I do. Like you feel this way too? I'll bet you do. Sometimes it, it's a very and apparently from what you know the readings I've done, famously Zero Mistel like go ad lived all way of off it, book yeah. and just like start talking about things that were in the news and like really talking to the audience, which probably drove everybody absolutely crazy. Sure, um, as it. It would. Uh, it would drive me crazy. I know that. That's why right. But like, he's zero Mistel. What in the world are you going to do? Yeah. Um, so 
yes, it is a much more, but it is a much more conversational. Well, and it's the way Tevye talks to everybody. I mean, Tevye as a character is so wonderful. As he talks to you, the way he talks to God. Yeah, the, I was just going to say. Yeah, I mean, it's just so, it's yeah. so beautiful the way he talks to Golda, the way he talks to the people in the town. He's just, he's just a fun night. You really like him instantaneously. Oh, immediately. Yeah. Immediately. He walks on stage and you totally fall in love with him. Yeah, I mean, he's great. He's a wonderful, loving character. Um, yeah, and actually it's funny, the sort of, um, the the humor that he uses to talk to everybody, right? Even mm-hmm. through struggle. Yeah. Um, I always think that's actually like one of the most Jewish parts of the show. Oh, is sure. Is the, the ability to retain, like to choose someone else for once, right? Like the ability to retain like humor and in a weird way positivity um, in moments of like the in the darkest moments yeah um and that it, it all sort of like it bubbles under you somewhere but that the the top is all jokes and it's all coverage well, and it's, until it's yes, not right until it's and not, i right yeah. and what i always talk about um you know i i cast a lot of jewish plays because i work at theater day sure. um and one of the things that i uh talk about a lot is this idea of like dropping into the pool that like, I think the thing that I see all the time that Jewish characters do. And I, and I think a lot is sort of uniquely Jewish. I mean, that doesn't mean many Christian people can't also get this quality. Right. But like the, the drop from like, we're laughing to like my entire world is falling apart Mm -hmm. is so fast and there's no like build to it in the traditional theatrical sense right you're just it just is like it crashes it coexists i mean you can have those two and then you go right back yeah those two feelings can exist it's one of the wonderful things about jewish comedy writ large to me is that these two there is no laughter without sadness like you were talking about with the high school production you saw, I think the most important quality with any Tevya, and that is presence. Mm. You've got to come out on that stage and be out on that stage, and you have to be instantaneously likable, because if you're not, nothing that happens in the next two and a half hours is going to work at all, because there's so much of that show that depends on you being with Tevya on his journey, and hurting with him, and loving with him, and being happy with him, and all that. I mean, because the song that... I think my favorite song in the show and also my favorite moment in the show is uh, Do You Love Me? Goldie, the first time I met you was on our wedding day. I was scared. I was shy. I was nervous. So was I. But my father and my mother said we'd learn to love each other. And now I'm asking Goldie, do you love me? I'm your wife. I know. But do you love me? Do I love him? Well, which is such an interesting exploration of that concept of arranged marriage and the relationship that Tevye and Golda have, which is loving, but you know cantankerous to, to be to be polite about it but that they sort of realize as their children go off and f- are overt about their love and find love and and want to marry for love um that 
they do actually love each other. And I love, I mean, the thing that, that cracks me up about it is the line, it doesn't change anything. But it's nice to know that, like, you know, we love each other. That's sweet, you know, and that's kind of it. And I like it because it is the the characters really getting on the same page out loud to people who are living together, working together, like figuring it out, like really out. It's important. It, it emphasizes the importance of, of out loud to somebody saying, I love you. Yeah. It also yeah. emphasizes, right, that they're now communicating in a way that feels sort of foreign to that generation right that oh sure the kids can communicate with their loved ones in a way that those two can't and then when they try to it's so adorable and so wonderful when he can't do it i mean earlier he can't tell golda that (laughs) that side of what's the right oh yeah have we not talked about the dream we have not talked about the dream Friend and neighbor from a Sarah. Have you no consideration for a woman's feelings? Handing over my belongings to a total stranger. How can you allow it? How? How can you let your daughter take my place? Live in my house, carry my keys, and wear my clothes? Pearls, how? How can you allow your daughter to take your place? Pearls! 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 We have not talked about Fruma Sarah, the great. Like, which, by the way, we brought up that arena production before, and like the yeah. the, the biggest thing you missed about that was Tracy's Frumacera. Right, <laughs> that's all. What I is have so to say. funny about Frumacera <laughs> to me is that there was there is a point in this show's history where Frumacera became a star part, where like not a huge like not you're not going to put it above the title, but like you are going to find an actor who is great. And make them from a Sarah. Because, like, Tracy did it here, and Jessica Vosk did it in oh, the Danny right. Burstein revival. Like, you go and find somebody who has presence and can sing the crap out of it, obviously. But, like, it's a, it, it's a like a featured role. It's not just... Because one song in the middle of Act One, and it just kind of... It's a lot of screeching, frankly. You know, and it's great. It's beautiful. And it's funny. But, like, it's funny to me that they've, they've ended up... Like, it's become a part where people are like... No, guess who we got is Frumacera. Like, really, Frumacera? Like that's a, but but it is it is a role that people pay a lot of attention to when they casting when they cast the show, and I think that's great because it's a hilarious. It's amazing. Scene. It's just an amazing moment where he just has this this, and it's also funny. What's so interesting about it is we get no setup for it, as like that Gulda believes the dreams are important. Or that like dream that the the that they the cult they believe writ large that dreams are important. He just pretends to wake up from a dream, just and launches then, into it, and knows that this will convince her that that Seidel should marry Model, not Laser Wolf, because the ghost of Laser Wolf's first wife will kill her. Graphically, mind yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I. I think it's sort of lovely as you're talking about that and you're talking about how how well he must know 
Golda to know that. Like, that's also sort of relevant to Do You Love Me, right? That, like, sure. he knows her well enough to know that this will change her mind. Like, that's a form of love in Absolutely. itself, right? Yeah. I don't know. It's really, it is, it is, I mean, it's a funny, but ultimately dishonest and manipulative thing that he does. It, it is, like, not to be understated. Like, he does tell a huge lie to her. Now, it's funny, though, that, like, he tells her a big lie, but it's a lie about a dream and like a dream is just kind of made up, you know. So if he'd really had the dream, would it really be any worse that he like he, he decided they decided something based on a dream he had, which also Laser Wolf brings up that like it was a dream. Like what are you talking about? Like it was a dream. It wasn't real. And it's just this thing of of what you view as important in the sort of metaphysical sense. But I like the fact that right before Do You Love Me. He kind of tries. They kind of have crafted that like half story about him having a rich uncle, about a, a Perchik having a rich uncle, that like maybe she'll be okay with that. And he kind of brings, sort of tests that a little bit and, and Golda kind of shuts it down right away. And when she does, he just tells her the truth. So what, so what is, as we, as we wind down, what has the Fiddler on the, is, is it a show that, as you're reading shows or you see shows or you're working on shows, is this like sort of, do you find yourself coming back to it? It's influence on you specifically as an artist or it's sort of always being in the back of your mind or yeah, or is it leap to the front of your mind in a lot of, a lot of moments. What is the legacy of it for you? I guess would be my question. I think there's a lot of ways that it sits with me constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've talked about a lot of them. Like I think the, uh, the sort of direct, Address to the audience and the, the or, but, you know, direct address can also be like a, like a, um, what they do in Godspell, right? Like mm-hmm. it's not, um, I guess I mean the casual direct address with the audience, um, and making us part of that world that I, uh, that sort of always lives in my brain a little bit, I think, um, because of like how formative that show was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, the actually what you were talking about before about the specificity of the story allowing it to be really universal um i i feel like that's i mean i guess that's true of everything right like there's that's oh that always works best Mm -hmm. um but i i feel like the attention to detail in that story is something that i think about a lot right like the um the characters are so intricate and their dynamics are so clear um, in a way that I think gets skipped over in some musicals. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe that also probably is in the back of my mind, but um, yeah. This is kind of always around. I I think it is always around. I I think it's also more newly around. I mean, in all honesty, so I. uh, Do you find it comes back at specific times or anything like that? Yeah. So for me, it's, I think it comes back. I mean, whatever. Not not to be the the now more than ever uh, right. uh, comedy post, but like, I, I do think it comes back more and more lately at times when we seem to have a more difficult time understanding cultures that aren't our own. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea that what you said before about like everybody thought only Jews were going to go see this on Broadway, and then everybody went to see it on Broadway. Um, I think I think more and more about that, the more isolated the world gets. Um, Mm -hmm. And 
yeah, but for but for me, I think it also, um, I think about it a lot because it's such a dream project. Like I don't. Sure. It's always there because I want to do it, right? right. So, I, um, but I think also. I was had to be away from it for so long because I it reminded me of my mom and I had trouble listening to it for a while and then mm. I came back to it so now it's even more present I think because of my time away from listening to it and maybe like it actually sort of creates the childhood nostalgia a little bit that we talked about before that's great thank you so much Jenna thanks for having this was me fun it's great to hang out again yeah um what do you have coming up that you can tell folks about um, well, I'll give a little plug for my home base, which is that Olney's about to open our production of Miss You Like Hell. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we're talking about shows that are relevant currently in the world, um, I think that's a, yeah, that's that's good. a great one to that's end a it good on. One. Great. Thank you so much for, for doing this. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks for letting me chat about my favorite things. That's from Sound of Music. <laughs> The original cast is produced and edited by me, Patrick Flynn. The original cast is on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at OriginalCastPod. You can follow me, Patrick Flynn, on all platforms at UnknownPenguin. Enjoying yourself? Leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and tell the world. You can also find the original cast on Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, and wherever fine podcasts are available. My thanks to Jenna Duncan for coming and talking to me. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. Ah!